Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And for the first time in almost a month, the Green Bay Packers left a field as victors, and this time in a very important game that maybe meant more to their opponent than it did to the Packers, but it certainly was a big game and a big victory, 30-13, to defeating the Minnesota Vikings at TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, and... I've seen a lot of talk about this game uh, since yesterday, heard a lot of talk radio about it. The Packers won. Uh, they won by uh, quite a large margin. But if the pack is back, I'm not quite ready to proclaim that. Uh, I, I think they did some nice things. But if we were quick to say that they were in trouble earlier in the year when they were struggling, I'm certainly not ready to say that they fixed anything, uh, especially with some of the things that happened yesterday. Yeah, I agree, and we saw a lot of things that they did better that they've been doing very poorly lately, and it's it's a huge win and against a team that really wanted it badly. But, I mean, after one week, you can't just say everything's fixed, and I've heard that a couple times today, too, it seems like, and, of course, they played the relax at the end of that game yesterday thing, Ugh. kind of stating that we're back to that point, we're going to go undefeated the rest of the year sort of a thing. But I, they had some really nice bright spots, and I think it's a big win. I'm, I'm not going to say the pack is back yet, but it looks like they certainly addressed some things. And even with Rodgers maybe not being completely still in his game, they had a dominant performance. Yeah, um, at least on the scoreboard they did. I, if they hadn't had the modern NFL scoreboard and you were just watching this game early 90s style or 80s style, I don't think you would have thought it was 30-13 to 13, um, if you were watching the game. But they had a really relentless pass rush, which is something we've been waiting for a while. Um, waiting to re- re- return for a while, I guess is the word I'm trying to find there. Um, they hadn't had any sacks since the bye week, so that was important. And uh, Eddie Lacy looked okay. And Rodgers still was a bit off. He was 16-34 of 34 for 212 yards and two touchdowns. But that's still a lot better than he'd been playing against these elite defenses. And if you're going to play a, a, the second-best defense in the league, that's the kind of stat line I ask for. You, you made a couple of big plays. You had 200 yards passing. You didn't have any turnovers. And you only were sacked twice. And that's acceptable to me. You can't have a 55 passer rating like you did against Seattle in the NFC Championship game or a 38 like you had against Buffalo, and you can't have 77 passing yards. Those are unacceptable. This type of performance you had yesterday against a top-line defense I think is great and about as much as you can expect, and certainly what you should expect from an elite player like him. Yeah, and we still saw some of the lingering things we've been seeing the last few weeks, like in a couple of scenarios where he seemed to hold the ball when he maybe had some guys open or just trying to run around too much, do too much. And he was under 50% completion percentage, which I don't know when the last time he did that was. I don't know if you can yeah. recall. No, I, I don't. But, uh, but So he had some negatives, but then he was making some of the throws that we hadn't seen in a few weeks too, like some of those laser beams like the James Jones touchdown. Um, so just some really, really nice throws that kind of makes me feel a little bit better about where we are. It makes me feel less that there's a potential injury thing because he was zinging it and, you know, mm-hmm. it's still some things to work on, but it was, it, like you said, it was a lot better than a game like this where you just kind of needed more ball control to win it and hold him off. It was, it was really a perfect performance. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I had been referring to in weeks past is that. When you're playing against the second best scoring defense in the NFL, you sh- it, it's unreasonable to expect them to come out and light it up, but it's reasonable to expect you to get more than 77 passing yards yeah. or not have a 36 quarterback rating. <laughs> and I think yesterday was fine. And yeah, his, his completion percentage wasn't that great, but I think you're, we're always going to get that from Aaron Rodgers where he's going to play it safe in a lot of times. And it was, it felt like as game, the game went on, he was a little bit less conservative than he had been the prior, prior few weeks. Um, but, yeah, when he started the game, he was so fiery. And it seemed like he was just throwing a hissy fit after every play. I remember a third and one where Lacey got stuffed, and he just turns to the bench and starts having a total temper tantrum. And towards the as the game went on, I don't know if it was that they got the lead or he started to feel more comfortable or he got his way. But that kind of dissipated. Early in the game, I was terrified that he was going to have another stinker, and then he's, he was able to R-E-L-E-X, I guess, and then uh, come back and play okay. Well, imagine how frustrating that is, though, too, you know, being him to hear for the last three weeks and how bad you're playing. And yeah. then if you've got, you know, a running back who's 
just moseying on up to the hole and getting tackled, and you've got Randall Cobb dropping passes left and right, and you got receivers that aren't on the same page and a line that's not blocking well, but it's Aaron Rodgers' fault. That's got to get frustrating when you get held on a three and out, and then all of a sudden, you know, it still kind of reflects back on you. He's, he's got to be frustrated at his teammates, even with as bad as he's played at times. It's You can tell that he's probably a little frustrated with everybody else, too. Yeah, and... We can't hear his words by watching the TV broadcast, so I, you know, he could be just really upset with the situation and not upset at anybody in particular. I mean, I think we all have that, and people respond to that, okay, if you are singling out people and yelling at them when they screw up and then just making a sad face when you screw up, I think that's hard to get behind, but that's probably not the case the way the team responded. So let's talk about Eddie Lacy. Uh, 200, or I'm sorry, 200 yards is not right. 22 carries for 100 yards. He had a 27 yard long. And to me, I don't even think he played any better than he had some of the other weeks. They just were committed to it for some reason this week. And he did get the big run early on. He had a couple of nine yard gains, I think, on the first and second drive. So that helped uh, build their confidence a little bit. But I don't think Eddie Lacy all of a sudden looked like he did last year. He just got the ball 22 times, and he was able to get 100 because of that. It, it's not because they gave him the ball nine times and gave up. I don't know. I might disagree with you like half of the way there. I, I agree. Yeah. It wasn't like last year Eddie Lacy, but I think he showed some things that he hasn't shown at all this year. And he yeah. was actually breaking some tackles, doing some spin moves, some classic Lacy moves that made me feel a little bit better that he wasn't just this, you know, this guy who's going to get it and fall down after two yards every single time. It looked like he was in it. It looked like he was putting in the effort and actually breaking some tackles for once. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. He wasn't, he wasn't amazing, but to get a hundred yards from him and get over four yards of carry is a lot better than we've seen so far. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So he had done some other things, but it's still clearly a problem spot. That offensive yeah. line is, there was a spot in the fourth quarter. I think it was, oh, it must've been one of the last drives where they might have been up, I can't remember what the score was, but basically they had a third down and one. And I'm like, I want them to run the ball right up the gut. They had Kuhn in the game. They had Eddie Lacy, I think, in an eye, but in the backfield. I'm like, just give it to Lacy. Just run over these guys and enforce your will and show them that the running game is back. And they tried that, and it got blown up, and (laughs) they had to punt. And it was like, okay, I mean, at least they committed to it, so I give them credit for that, but... That for me stood out as okay. It's it's not quite the same yet. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, on that play, I remember it specifically too. The offensive line. You, I was kind of rooting for the same thing. Short yardage. Yeah, give it to Lacey. It's working, and the whole line just basically looks like they get pulled <laughs> backwards there. So yeah, that kind of you know. Well, Lacey is maybe not running quite like he was last year. Obviously, that's a huge part of that too. And it's not like Starks really was rolling yesterday either. All this year, even even though he's been a little bit better. Yeah, eight carries for fourteen yards. So. Yeah, not the not the greatest for him. He did have a big catch though, like a thirty yard pass on like a, a screen play. So yeah, the offense looked better. Um, James Jones, I suppose we have to talk about his hoodie. Uh, that yeah, was really I, bizarre. I, I kept seeing these articles I didn't have time to read today where he addressed that, but it, you asked me yesterday. It's like it kind of looks like it's just one of those face masks. Maybe pulled it down around his neck, but it actually was a hoodie, huh? Yeah, it was. It was a legit hoodie because whatever the, the Dickies or whatever they're called, <laughs> like Randall Cobb looked like he had one on, yeah. but it was just, yeah, pulled down around his neck or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was an actual hoodie. And I guess he had sleeves over the hoodie. And I read a bunch of those articles and they were all about 600 words saying he was cold. So. <laughs> So it was I, completely. That must be allowed. I don't know if he got fined for that, but he's the only player I've ever seen do that. Yeah, it's allowed. I guess Mike Pereira quick threw together a video and they posted it on Twitter. I hadn't seen that, but I uh, it was cited in a lot of those useless articles I was reading. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's the same thing as like dreadlocks. So if he had got pulled down by the hood, that would have been legal. Uh, but since it was officially NFL licensed and it was the the matching his team colors, then he was allowed to wear it. That's funny. That's it. Just seems like something we would have made fun of somebody on like our high school team for doing that. Like <laughs> yeah. somebody who never plays wearing a hoodie. You're like, come on. But just an NFL player doing that just seemed really strange. It was like kind of the dry fit athletic, so it didn't look really, really weird. Yeah. But, yeah. I've never seen that before. But he played really well. So why he not? he looked like such a dweeb though. Like yeah. <laughs> he looked like a guy that you at the last minute invited to like your school Saturday football game and. He didn't have, like, a really good sweatshirt to wear, so he just wore a hoodie. <laughs> it just was kind of... Like, that's what I wear when I go to the games, like, is put a jersey over a hood. I mean, it looks okay when you're doing that, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, we'll see if he does it next week. It also reminded me of before, like, Under Armour was a thing. Um, there's that Redskins-Falcons rain playoff game that uh, is kind of famous if, if you're a fan of those teams. And back then, they didn't have anything. So remember, like, the tiny, kind of shiny, like, spring jackets? Like, people were wearing those under their jerseys, and it looks awesome. so... St- <laughs> I think Gary Clark did, and a bunch of guys on the Falcons. And so it reminded me of that. It looked... James Jones looked cooler than those guys did, at least. Um, but he played... I, don't, I was going to say he played great, and he did. The production was there, and he had some great catches. But um, I don't know if he can get open just running a regular route anymore. No, probably not. But the big catches he's made this year, other than the post against... Uh, who was that? Sherman? Yeah. I mean, none of them have been... I schooled this guy and got wide open. He's making these tough catches for the most part. Yeah. And but even the Sherman post, I think Sherman played it like he thought he had inside help and there was a flag, so he might have been confused as to if the play yeah. was even happening. To and begin we joked with. about how the heck did James Jones get open on that because he was just slow James Jones yeah. running a really simple post and just somehow ended up being wide open. <laughs> yeah, slowest. But it's, it's pretty sad to say, though, that I think he, he might be the best receiver on the team right now. I mean, Devonta Adam continues to struggle getting on the same page as Rodgers and Cobb, keeps dropping all these easy first down catches and not making an impact. I know he had a touchdown yesterday, but, man, this receiving core is really bad. Yeah, they had back-to-back routes, one to Cobb and one to Richard Rodgers in the first half, I believe, and... Um, the throws weren't particularly good, but they both looked open, but even as the ball was approaching, like... They didn't even react like they knew the ball could possibly come to them. It looked like I was watching a Super Nintendo game where the sprites just absorb the ball when it comes to them rather than do anything with their arms. It was really weird, and uh, Leroy Butler tweeted during the game that who's Randall Cobb dating, like kind of a, a joke to yeah. the <laughs> Olivia Munn stuff. That's funny. But, yeah, I, I don't quite know what the issue is because he – played all of last year he's been on the team for five years how could their timing just suddenly go away yeah and i, I don't know it i with him and, and rogers i'm not sure if it's even the timing with them it's just something's going on where he just doesn't look quite as athletic and he's just dropping passes that usually he's making all these spectacular catches in the past and then once he gets the ball in his hands he's making everybody miss because he's way more athletic than everybody out there but mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't seem to have that much right now, and I, I don't know what the deal is with that. Maybe he's still a little banged up, but he's just not even close to the same guy. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it any better than you just did. It's it's really difficult. <laughs> it just seems like he's basically just James Jones running Randall Cobb routes, but he can't catch. <laughs> it's just like the athleticism just doesn't seem to be there right now. Yeah, and and I don't really understand why. I, maybe he's getting different coverages or something, but yeah, I'm not smart enough to analyze that and. Devontae Adams is so frustrating. I'm trying to think of somebody that he reminds me of from Packer history, and I don't know. Like, he's he's such a physical, gifted guy, but it doesn't seem to trans, translate itself well onto the field, and I don't know. I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of it. Is he uh, Robert Ferguson, where everybody thinks he's good and he never quite is? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a bad one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of that too. You know, he's he makes some really insane catches sometimes, makes big plays. Yeah. And then the majority of the game, though, he's just not getting open, running the wrong route, dropping a pass, just not looking as good as he looks like he should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good one. We'll have to think on that one. But I mean, we I can't think of a guy that's been that seemingly fit, physically gifted and just can't bring the rest of it. Yeah, what about a guy like uh, uh, Antonio Bryant? Do you remember him from Dallas and, and yeah. some other teams? Like, he just always seemed like, oh, he's such a matchup, and then never really like played. Like a Hakeem Nicks kind of a guy. Like yeah. He was awesome, and now he's out of the league after. Well, I think he just got signed back, but kind of bounced around and not doing much. How about a not-quite-as-good Roy Williams? What? <laughs> where you just think this guy is going to take over and dominate, and he's just kind of another guy that you can't quite figure out. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of a slew of those guys, aren't there? Like Mike Williams, like all these big guys. Maybe he's not as athletic as Devontae Adams, but yeah, yeah, there's probably quite a few guys out there like that. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully he figures it out. It's only his second year, and this year has been pretty much destroyed by um, injury. And looking at his statistics, so last year he had 38 catches for 446 yards, um, in 16 games, and he's got 30 catches for only 308 yards, but uh, quite a bit, and he's only played seven games. So at least 
you know, he's he's a little ahead of pace. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Way more targets though. Yeah, that's true. He's the he's... target to production ratio. I bet last year was probably better at this point. Uh, actually, it looks about the same. Sixty-six targets for thirty-eight catches this year. Fifty-three targets the third. So he got almost half of his targets against Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. Uh, but anyways, um, the offensive line still looks a little bit iffy. They lost Corey Lindsley, but I, I I don't have any update on how his condition is. But I don't know. The offensive line looked the same once they had Treader in there, and I think people forget that J.C. Treader was the unquestioned starter until he got yeah. hurt last year. So maybe they'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. I mean, he's still a young guy filling in there. You, I, I guess I haven't heard much of him since he ended up getting benched last year, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't even think twice about it when the game was going on, I guess, after uh, he was out and Treader was in. So yeah. I, I guess we'll see. Have you heard a timetable for a turn on that? I didn't even hear what happened to him. It was an ankle injury he got rolled up on, but I haven't heard anything. So I guess it's good. The fact that he got rolled up on and we haven't heard anything must mean it's not catastrophic. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't really know. Same with Micah Hyde. I don't know how long he's going to be out either. But how important can center be? I mean, they had De- Jeff Saturday that one season. And they yeah, if still... you're going to lose a position on the line, that's the one. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you could see the big difference that Lindsley made last year, too, you yeah. know, as well. I mean, a guy coming in like that and playing really, really well when you didn't necessarily expect it. So it's it's not a good thing, but I'd rather lose a center than a guard or a tackle. Yeah, and... You know, Lindsley hasn't been playing the greatest out of out of all the guys on the line. I would say that him and, and Bakhtiari have been probably the worst so far this year. So, yeah. um, so the defense played a lot better, and I sort of missed it during the game, but I've been hearing a lot how well Datone Jones played. And yeah. in retrospect, I can kind of see that it felt like Clay Matthews played more on the outside and was was pressuring more, and and I yeah. thought Mike Daniels was really good. Yeah, and I thought they played really well. Really, the only guy I can think of that I didn't think played real well was Randall. Demarius Randall seemed to get beat quite a few times, but everybody else played really well. And, I mean, AP gets held to 45 yards, and really the only yeah. good run he had was a strip a strip fumble. Yeah, that's um, true. I didn't even think of that. I mean, for this run defense that we've seen get gashed throughout the whole year, to do that against AP in this offense was really impressive. Mm-hmm. And Although I'm really psyched about that, I have to say that the reason I kept picking against Minnesota so far this year and I've been wrong all these times is this is kind of the team I thought they were, too. Mm-hmm. I thought that they'd run better against Green Bay, but it just seems like I must have missed all of his best games. I just thought that Bridgewater, is that's kind of what I expected. I mean, he threw for, what, like 200 yards and a touchdown and wasn't very impressive at all. Yeah. It just They didn't seem to have much punch, and I, I hate to judge them when I haven't watched them play too much this year, but... I guess yeah. that's kind of what I expected from them. I'm not sure. That's who Bridgewater is, though, and I never quite understood the hoopla about how he's this great young quarterback and he's coming along. He is completing 65% of his passes, but like most of the young quarterbacks, they're not going for any yards. He, he's he got eight TDs, 16 picks. He's throwing for 210 yards a game. I mean, that's who can't do that <laughs> in the modern NFL. And what must it be like? to be on that Vikings team or to be a Minnesota Vikings fan to be 7 and 2 and you got the Packers who have played some of their worst football that they've played in a decade coming into your stadium on a game that was flexed to be a national TV spot they can't stop the run they can't score and you have one of the best rushing attacks and one of the best scoring defenses and then they just blow your doors off yeah. Like, yeah, that's got to be really defeating. And so you go from, hey, we're going to get a first-round bye, and we're going to be in the total driver's seat to this division, to, okay, we're 7-3, and three. now we're behind the Packers, we're going to be trailing them, we might not get to them in time again before they clinch the division over us, and now all of a sudden our wins over the Rams and Raiders and the Lions and stuff that we thought were so impressive don't look so impressive anymore because those teams aren't that good. So now you go from, hey, we're on top of the world and we're going to kill these guys to, man, they killed us and maybe we weren't ever that good. Yeah, and I kind of wonder what the the Vikings fan mindset was going into this game. Were they kind of like us, you know, playing Seattle? Like, well, I just, I I guess we're probably going to lose this game. Or were they really thinking that they were for real? And maybe they still are. But like you said, they haven't beaten a whole lot of good teams. And they didn't look very impressive against not even a great team, but a good team yesterday. They get blown out, so... Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious to see where they go the rest of the year here, mm-hmm. if they can kind of bounce back from this, or they kind of fall back to the average and what we maybe think that they are. Well, yeah, as far as the Vikings fans, I don't know, because the only ones you hear from are the super vocal ones, and that goes for mm-hmm. all fan bases. So they were, on pro football talk especially, they have a very local 
or a vocal fan base, and they're bashing the Packers all year long in stories that have nothing to do with the Packers, like in the comments and stuff, and just saying how they were going to destroy us. And all week, I guess it was really bad. I, I wasn't on there that, that much last week. But to the point that in the game story about the Packers beating Minnesota, there were fans of other teams coming down there and saying, I'm so glad the Packers won. I'm a Giants fan. Or I'm a, <laughs> and it's like, I'm a Browns fan. And the Vikings fans were so annoying last week. It was so great to see them get destroyed by the Packers and realize that they still suck and have no chance of winning that division. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but as far as the rest of the year... I think that adds into their psyche, not only as a team, but as a, uh, you know, a fan base, but uh, as a team, they play at the Falcons, home to Seattle, at the Cardinals, home to the Bears, home to the Giants, at the Packers. That's their last wow. six games. They, <laughs> they, That's probably harder than any of the other games they've had all year up until last Sunday. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of maybe at Denver and stuff yeah. like that, but yeah, I mean, if they lose to the Bears, I mean, they could... They could conceivably lose the division well before they get back to Lambeau Field. And granted, the Packers have to keep playing well, but for reference, the Packers' remaining schedule is home to the Bears, at the Lions, home to the Cowboys, at the Raiders, at the Cardinals, Vikings. Um, still not... A little yeah, easier, but not, yeah, yeah. not a cakewalk. Yeah, and it depends on if the Packers start playing how they did in like week two or three, then it, a lot of those could be cakewalks. But I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that point. But yeah, it's... I, I almost feel bad for them a little bit. Uh, not the not the ones no. who are nuts, but I, I work with a closeted Vikings fan, and I was talking to him a little bit on Friday, and I'm like, "What do you think the Vikings are going to win?" He's like, "Gosh, I hope so." He's like, "Just he's like every time we play the Packers in this kind of position over the last few years, we always lose." It's like even the one time they beat us in recent years was in the last game of 2012, and then they came back one week later and got destroyed by the Packers. So they didn't yeah. even get to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is tough. I don't feel bad for them, though. Yeah, no, I know. These Vikings, I would say, up until last year, were a little easier to root for because you had Bridgewater. I mean, you had Peterson out. And now that he's back, I'm having a hard time feeling bad for them at all or rooting for them at all. They, they, like, last year they were kind of fun with, like, Matt Asiata at running back. and yeah. Just whatever. If they won a game, it was it was fun because Bridgewater was a rookie. But now they've lost that for me. Now that they're winning and AP's back. Yeah, I, Peterson really makes it hard to get behind them. I think. But yeah, I think the way they played yesterday, not only just losing, but it reminded me of how the Packers played at Seattle. They played like a team who wanted to believe they could win and were as good as their opponent, but really weren't. With a lot of the late penalties and iffy ones. But still stupid plays that you shouldn't have done. The roughing the passer, the headbutting Mason Crosby. Those are the kind of plays the Packers did in the first quarter of the NFC Championship game that really cost them a lot of points that yeah. they could have used at the end. It's the kind of chippy stuff that, that the Packers did against San Francisco in the opener of 2013. It's the kind of stuff that a team does when they're trying to convince themselves that they're in the league of their opponent when they really don't believe it. And I felt that's the way the Vikings played yesterday. So... I don't know. Was there any other glaring thing that uh, came out about this game? Um, I think about the same that I did of the two teams. Maybe I think lesser of the Vikings. Um, I at least know that this is not going to be the complete nuclear wasteland of a season for the Packers, but I don't necessarily feel any better about their Super Bowl hopes. I thought you, I thought you said they were going winless the rest of the year last week. <laughs> I did. So I, oh, okay. So I, <laughs> I didn't say I expected it. I said it was possible. You said 100% sure. Yeah, Packers don't win a game the rest of the year. Well, I would I would I would encourage everybody to go check the tape because I I don't know if I I, I said that in that words, but um, well, didn't you say they were going to win every game forty nine to three the rest of the year? Yeah, I at least have a chance to be right. Still, well, not forty nine nothing. Yeah, but so I feel that's that's how I feel. I I feel a little bit different. The Vikings aren't this great brand new team. They're better than they were last year. And the Packers aren't a total dumpster fire, but I don't think I feel as strongly about them as I did in August. That's how I feel. Yeah, completely agree. I, I mean, they're not cured by any means. And uh, against the Bears team, you should beat them. But you kind of wonder once you start playing, you know, like a Dallas and, and things like that, you'll probably see some of these things that have been problems starting to come out again. I don't think they're going to go away this year. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you you still see a team that probably goes 11-5 and five and maybe looks convincing here and there, but there's just... There's still a lot of bad parts of this team that mm -hmm. would scare you going against good competitors for three, four games in a row in the playoffs. 
Yeah, and I guess the thing that we can take some solace in is that there is, I hate to use cliches on this show, that's part of the reason we have a show, because I can't stand cliches and we have to set things right for our <laughs> for people yeah. listening, but so much, uh, there's, there's a lot of football left to be played, and... That, <laughs> That's what was kind of stupid about all of these arguments when the Packers were having their losing streak about, well, none of their wins were over anybody any good. Well, all of a sudden that Kansas City win looks really good and that Bears win is looking better. And, you know, that Broncos loss is looking worse. You know, it's things change a lot. And the Vikings a couple of weeks ago could say, hey, we beat Oakland and the Rams. Look at us. We're great. And now all of a sudden those teams are terrible. And so... I don't know. A lot can change still yet before the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is get hot at the right time, right, Eric? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, just <laughs> got to be hot going into December, and then you can go. Um, although, the way Carolina played yesterday, I heard a lot of things about, yeah, the Packers, you know, now that they're playing, I, I'd take my chances in Carolina. Yeah, good luck with that. I think you'd get blown away. Yeah, it's there's such a weird team because, I mean, I, I watched some of the beginning of that game. Their defense didn't look that good. They ended up playing better as the game went on, but... I don't get how that that offense. I mean, they don't do anything flashy, but they score like every damn time they touch the football. <laughs> yeah, they just they just run it with Tolbert for four yards, and then Jonathan Stewart for three yards, and then Cam Newton runs for five yards, and they're just like nothing exciting, but they just get it done. And it's kind of strange to see them putting up so many points when we thought that offense was going to be kind of a trouble spot. Yeah, and I think they're a rare team in the modern NFL where. I don't know if it's 32 teams or just the way that the the league is structured now, but it seems like every team has a super glaring weakness, whereas the Packers can't run or such and such a team can't stop the pass or the Vikings can't pass. And Carolina reminds me a bit of the 90s Dallas Cowboys, where they weren't as good as San Francisco at throwing the ball, and maybe they weren't as good as, as Pittsburgh at running the ball, but they were second or third best in every single thing in the NFL. And so if Aikman was having a bad day, Emmett was going to run it down your throat. And if you were passing the ball against them, you couldn't run. And if Emmett was getting stuffed, Aikman could throw it on you. And it feels like Carolina's like that. They're not the best at anything they do, but they're top five at everything, it seems like. And so they'll always have a way to beat you. And while they're completely capitalizing on your one horrible, unhideable weakness, you just keep denting away at them and they don't crumble. Yeah, and unfortunately for the Packers, if you somehow miss Carolina in the playoffs, you've got basically a, a clone of them in Arizona who looks really, really good right now, too. That's almost the same thing. Like, you don't look at them and you're not like, oh, man. But, I mean, their defense is top five. Their passing game is top five. They're running the ball now. Mm-hmm. They just, it seems like those two teams have come in and completely replaced the Seattle and San Francisco teams. And now we're going to be dealing with these two guys for a while now. Yeah, we're going to be, I can't even think of an analogy. Like, who is the team that we're most like through history? Like, um, I don't know, maybe we're Marino's Dolphins right now. Where you're like, man, we finally figured out a way to be better than Denver. But, whoa, wait a minute, where did the Bills come from? You know, and now it's like, hey, we're better than the Bills again, and now Denver's back. Hooray. Yeah, they just, like, span these eras, and they're dealing with, you know, like you said, Denver and, and, and Buffalo and then Denver again. And they just, <laughs> you can never catch a break. There's just always these new teams, and they're kind of the same throughout. Luckily, we get a Super Bowl, though, so that sets us apart. That's true. At least we got lucky that one year. When all of those teams weren't quite sure who they are, we rushed in and, and were able to win a Super Bowl. Thank- yeah, we only had to deal with, like, the the mediocre Eagles and Falcons at that time, and the Bears, Jay Cutler's Bears. Yeah, that's so embarrassing. No, no pun intended. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we got lucky enough that we somehow won a Super Bowl in this era and missed Brady, Breeze, and uh, Manning, and were able to win. We won a Super Bowl beating Matt Ryan and Jay Cutler and Michael Vick and Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> so, weird. I mean, we've talked about that a lot, but it's strange. Here's a question I want to ask uh, going forward. There's so many crummy teams in the NFC, and uh, they're all kind of at a logjam right now. And if the playoffs started today, the Packers would be the three seed. Uh, they would open the playoffs hosting Atlanta, and Minnesota would be at the Giants in the other wild card game, and then uh, Arizona and Carolina would have the buys. Here's my question. So right behind them are Tampa Bay and Seattle for the behind the two wild card teams. Do you want the Vikings to keep losing so we can clinch the division sooner, or do you want them to keep winning for the better chance that they'll keep Seattle out of the playoffs? Yeah, that's tough. I I think as long as we're ahead of them in the standings, I think I cheer for the latter a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm confident that they can out 
outwin the Vikings the rest of the year, if that's a word. Yeah. I, I think as long <laughs> as they can stay, yeah, as long as they can stay like a half a game ahead of them the whole year, I, I don't think I'm going to be like outwardly rooting against Minnesota just because of that. I'd still much rather see that team in the playoffs, even though I don't think Seattle's nearly what they have been. I, it seems to be kind of a mentality thing or an attitude thing for them. So I hate to see them in the playoffs at all. Just as, you know, just, you never know what could happen. Yeah. And. <laughs> Uh, the cliche police are going to come after me. They've been there before, and so it's it's yeah. it's a little. Scary. It's true, and they've also beat the heck out of us for you know. Other than the regular season meaningless game this year, they've beaten us up for four straight years. So. Yeah. So uh, granted, it would likely be at Lambeau Field if we got to play them, but I don't I don't care to have that. It's right. it reminds me of Favre in the '96 playoffs when they crushed San Francisco in the divisional round, and the following day it was Carolina against Dallas, and the whole crowd is chanting, "We want Dallas, we want Dallas." And I think Pam Oliver or Ron Pitts or somebody asked them, they're like, "Oh, you hear that crowd? What do you think?" And he's like, "I don't know if these people realize that Dallas has beat us like eight of the last eight times, so yeah. I don't I don't know if we want to play them." <laughs> um. Yeah, so I guess I don't have anything else about this game. So it was really fun and exciting. I forgot how fun it was just to win a football game. Like I don't care what happens the rest of the year. At le- I do care about what happens the rest of the year, but today I don't. I'm glad to have just won. Yeah, I, I came with I came with really low expectations. We both picked Minnesota to win that game, and after what we've seen the last three weeks, I think we were right to do that. But uh, yeah, it was nice. I, I kind of came in just wanting to enjoy the game, even if we lost. But they ended up doing that, so it was a, it was a good surprise. Yeah, I picked against them not only on here, but I picked against them on KZ Radio, and I, th- well, yeah, and I think I've only picked against them twice on KZ Radio, and the other time was against the Bears in the RELAX game. So I better just keep picking against them. Did you, didn't you that time, though, have some radio fans say they were going to stop listening because you weren't a real Packer fan or something yeah, like that? That was the NFC Championship game because I picked the Packers, but I said I'll pick them because I want them to win, but Seattle's going to win. That's the nice thing about doing a podcast as opposed to a radio because the listeners can choose to listen in where a radio, you're just going to have these people like just listening in and just getting <laughs> yeah. all sorts of like appalled no matter what you say, whereas like yeah. it, it's a lot different on this where we have pe- I think we have maybe like a smarter group of people. I'd hate to rip on your radio listeners, no. but it's not like smarter. A- it's it's they've chosen to be more informed in our chosen topic. Sure. You know, it's it's stuff That's they about- care about. Yeah. People are not listening to KZ Radio to hear me give a Packer pick. They're hearing it because they want to hear Bon Jovi and Journey. Right. <laughs> but I, they're they're a great listener base. I think it really is. And it was it was one person. But we encounter that a lot as Packer fans. And you know, you, you'd be at work or something, and somebody will ask you what you thought of the game, and I'll be like, Well, you know, Aaron Rodgers probably uh, could have played better. And they're like, What are you, some kind of Bears fan? <laughs> You should be from Detroit and see how they're doing. I'm like, I didn't say I hate the Packers. I said they lost. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but anyways, that's that's sports fandom. When when you read some of the comment sections and when you're on Twitter and some of that stuff, it's you you start to understand why non sports fans think so lowly of sports fans. Mm-hmm. All right, so. The big thing coming up, the Packers have a Thanksgiving game at home. It's the first time this has happened since the 20s. It should be a really exciting atmosphere. And the main reason for that is that Brett Favre is going to have his number four uh, number retired. And uh, Bart Starr is going to come there. So it's going to hopefully be a really exciting night. The local Green Bay TV market has the airwaves flooded with Brett Favre specials between now and Thursday. So that should be fun. Um, unless you're nerds like us who have seen all of those same clips millions of times you could probably put together what you think it's going to be and be about 90 percent right but it's still fun to see a lot of that stuff but in honor honor of old number four we're going to have a very special edition of one of our popular segments this week called cross farver And that signifies the beginning of Cross Farver, where we rapidly debate Brett Favre-centric topics. Um, this is a long-time segment. Every week we talk about Brett Favre. Um, he's just the best. If you don't think he's the best, you probably like the Vikings. So we're going to talk about that. <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> That's just me making fun of a bunch of deranged fans who... Gotcha. I hate the term Vikings. It makes me just almost wish the Packers would lose when I hear somebody <laughs> say Vikings. <laughs> 
Um, okay, I'll let you start. What uh, farm topic do you have? All right, Eric. So I'm curious to hear your answer to this because I would like to know your favorite um, – I don't even know what the proper phrase is for this, but – Less lesser known Favre game. So I'm I'm saying not you know the Raiders O three game mm-hmm. or Super Bowl or you know one of those type of games. What is your your favorite memory of one that maybe isn't as well known? Who, um, I'm, I'm I guess I'm trying to gauge if it's not. Are we talking not well known to like the NFL Network crowd or not well sure. known to like our fans? Because our fans know almost every game probably. Yeah, been. Well, whatever. Pick. I, okay. I would I would specify more like the NFL films kind of a stuff, NFL Network stuff. Okay, then my favorite, and this is borderline, but my favorite Favre game um, that's lesser known is the 1999 win over the Vikings. And that was the one where they had been dominated by Minnesota in two games in 1998. It is, the, and the, the Vikings and Packers both kind of struggle to start the season at 1-1. One and one. The Packers have Ray Rhodes. They're kind of lost. They don't know what they're going to do. And Favre hadn't been playing very well in the first two games. He had a comeback against the Raiders, but he threw a bunch of picks. And it's just the chippiest, toughest game. And Favre has a drive at the end. The Vikings score a touchdown with like two minutes left. The, the Packers drive down, they have no timeouts, and Favre throws a pass on third down with no timeouts, it's tackled inbounds, the clock is ticking, so it's fourth down, he has to call a play at the line of scrimmage, and he calls it and throws a touchdown pass to Corey Bradford with like 12 seconds left. And he beats the Vikings, he goes crazy, um, it's Madden and Summerall, it's one of my favorite calls of theirs, because they just, Madden just freaks out like he's a Packer fan. And that one is, I got like chills thinking about it right now. Like I just want to watch it right after this is over. Yeah, I want to watch that one now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. And it, it also brings one of my favorite Madden and Summerall exchanges where Madden's talking. Now he was tackled in bounds, so he can't spike it. And Summerall's, yeah, he's trying to get up to the line and he can't spike it here. It's fourth down. He knows that, John. <laughs> <laughs> and then he throws the touchdown. So, uh, awesome, awesome game. What about you? Yeah, and there's a lot of good ones, obviously. I think I kind of have to choose the one that I always seem to think about, and that was that game in 07 against the Broncos where they threw that overtime oh, touchdown yeah. to, to Jennings. I, I just remember it so much because we were all – I was watching with some college friends, and we were all just standing there watching, and then he throws that touchdown, and you know everybody's jumping around and hugging each other and stuff. And it, it was kind of – I'm maybe a weird Packer Brett Favre fan because for – like 98, or I'd say maybe like 99 through 06, I just honestly wasn't the biggest Brett Favre fan. He just frustrated me more than he kind of made me happy. But in 07, that started to turn around during that year, and I was really getting on board, and the Favre forever was out, and I was all mm-hmm. in, and he starts doing stuff like that. And so I, I think that was my favorite one. Yeah, and I'll throw a dark horse in there is the following week at Kansas City when he brought him back from behind like three times, and then he had that right down the middle bomb to Jennings who had split the safety and it just falls like a yeah. the Willie Mays for the touchdown. And I, I love it because the radio call is like super Larry McCarron. Like he's just like, yes, yes. Yeah, like, that going crazy. Awesome too. And that Chargers won that year too. Like yeah. he had a lot of really good games that year. Oh man. that ugh. I love that year. They should have won the Super Bowl after that year. It would have been the best story ever. Although then we probably wouldn't have Aaron Rodgers because um, I feel like they would have stuck with Favre in 08 if they don't oh, yeah, won the Super Bowl. I think you're right. So I guess yeah, no matter what, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you could have waited until a week before the season started and they would have put him back in. Yeah, definitely. So it was the ride was great for what it was. I'm glad it turned out the way it did. All right, so I want to ask um, who had the better cast of teammates. Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers? So overall, to this point in their careers, I yeah, I, I would still have to say Rodgers. I think it it's tough because I think the '96 team you look back on it now and you just say like, man, like who were some of those guys? Even though I remember it very very well, but yeah. I mean, you've got Antonio Freeman, Robert Brooks, Edgar Bennett, Dorsey Levins, Mark Chimura. I mean, none of them ended up being like great great players, but. I think you look at some of the, the squads that Rodgers had around him, especially in like 2011, 2012, where you got Finley, Nelson, Driver, Jennings, James Jones, like all these guys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that Favre ever quite had a roster around him quite like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 03 team and the 07 team and even two are pretty darn good, but I, I think I'd still go with Rodgers. Yeah, I think it's Rodgers for off. Like the, the pass catchers Rodgers have had is much better than the ones Favre had. I think you know. Yeah. Um. 
and you know he's had Eddie Lacy, he's had Ryan Grant, and who's the best back that? Well, Favre had Amon Green, who's yeah, better Mon than either of those guys. But that was kind of later in his career. I would. It's really tough because to me, if we're talking the whole teams, the pack. Well, that '96 blows everything else away. Then probably. Well, not even just '96. It's that. They're, you know, Reggie White is their Clay Matthews, and he's better than Clay. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know, because be- Reggie's yeah. way best here. I don't know, though. Like, was Reggie... Yeah, because 98, he was really good. So, yeah, he's better than Clay. But I think the just Packer time, it's closer than you would think. Um, sure. But Leroy Butler was a four-time first-team All-Pro. I mean, that's Hall of Fame-level stuff. And he should get more consideration. And Gilbert Brown was iffy, but he's certainly better than B.J. Raji. And... I, you know, some of that other role player stuff. So I think when you're starting to talk about Sean Jones being on the team, that defense was pretty good. But on the flip side, you had that 1999 team and you had the 2001 team and some of those other teams that were just dreadful. I mean, how far have got that 04 team to the playoffs is a miracle. So I guess I still have to say Rodgers. Um, let's go to Daniel Johnson, who uh, we offered up this far uh, crossfire topic on the podcast Facebook page as well, and then we got a couple of suggestions, so we'll talk over some of those as well. So uh, Daniel Johnson asks, will Peyton Manning's legacy end up being much like Brett Favre's? So I guess you can interpret that how you wish. Sure, and I, I'm going to say no. I, I think they're very different, in that they'll both have a lot of negatives. But I think that what's different is I don't think Peyton's ever going to do anything to embarrass himself like that and kind of almost turn himself into somewhat of a joke after he retires. And that, that's kind of come back since. But, I mean, Favre's play up until that last year didn't really decline that much. Yeah. That's not That wasn't his problem. I mean, he threw some big picks, but he still played very, very well up until the end. It was the waffling, the dick picks. The, <laughs> yeah, that, it was yeah. that stuff. and. It, that's not Peyton's problem is he's just all of a sudden can't play anymore and his issues have been playing poorly in the playoffs and cold weather and what have you. But I th- I think although the legacies might both kind of have a, a kind of a bad taste in your mouth, they're completely different. Yeah, and I never really quite uh, – I didn't think of it from that angle, but that's true. I mean, Favre really turned into a cartoon, and it's really only now that it, his – it's been away enough that he's kind of rehabbing his image a little bit and people are starting to remember more of him as the player. Yeah. And – I don't know. I, there's a charm about Favre that I think nobody else really has. Like maybe Terry Bradshaw has it, but it's he's thrown a lot of backbreaking interceptions and stuff. But I think at the end of the day, I think he's going to be more revered than Peyton is because Peyton lost on a whimper and Favre lost on a you know the firework exploding in his hands. You know, and not to make fun of some of those incidents for the NFL this year, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a dignity to that, to thinking you're outmanned and not being afraid to be the goat. And I think people respect Favre going out there and throwing six picks against the Rams or throwing an interception in overtime against the Giants. They're certainly not good plays, but there's a dignity in that over just having the lamest game ever and losing 24 to 10, like we've seen Peyton do so often in the playoffs. Sure. Yeah, and I agree with that too. I I, I think that. Peyton's play negatives are are worse than Favre's for sure. I mean, just the not showing up and and not playing well in cold weather, and then uh, even in the Super Bowl they won not playing that well. Where Favre, the one that they won, I mean, was lights out and probably should have been MVP. Yeah, and played very well in the loss to Denver. Correct. Yeah. So I I, I think play wise, I'd, I'd maybe take Favre over Peyton, but uh, it'd be curious to see you know ten years down the road how everybody else thinks. Yeah, I think Peyton will still be revered, but. You know, Favre is kind of like the, I don't know, he's like your dumb friend who's just really cool but screws up all the time. And Peyton's like your really good friend who's always there for you but kind of a nerd. Well, I mean, and you probably know better than I would, but it seems like this might be kind of a similar to Dan Marino thing where you'll have some people saying he's the best of all time because his regular season numbers. But, I mean, other than, like, the, you know, what was it, his second year? What did Dan Marino ever do in the playoffs? I mean, he was, he was hardly even in the AFC Championship game ever. Like 8-10, and 10, I think. Yeah, and, and he got outclassed quite a few times. The, the two AFC Championship games he went to after the – yeah, so he only went to two AFC title games after the 84 Super Bowl, and they got crushed both times by a division no, team. Nobody talks about that anymore, yeah. so maybe that's the same thing that will happen to Peyton, but who knows. Yeah, I imagine that a lot of people will make up reasons why he lost, and – 
ignore the fact that in 2005 they had like the best defense in the NFL and or 2007 I think they had the number one scoring defense in the NFL and 2005 they had a really good defense and last year they had a good defense and it didn't matter and I think people will manufacture stuff like well he had to outscore everybody you know what are you going to do when you hit a rut in the playoffs and you're losing every game 30 to you know 31 to 28 when in actuality he lost most of those playoff games like 17 to 14 but okay so um your turn all right i so i kind of rushed on a little bit already but more on the negative side of things if as a brett Favre fan what is the one thing you could wipe out from his legacy would you rather be able to get rid of the waffling and the whole issue with aaron Rodgers and how that ended up get rid of his career as a minnesota viking so he maybe still goes to the jets mm-hmm. or um what was or maybe get rid of some of the uh, some of the backbreaking playoff interceptions. What do you think hurts his legacy the most with you? Um, I can live with the playoff interceptions because at least he's trying and that happens. Um, I can even live with the dick pics in all honesty. Yeah. Um, I don't put these athletes on pedestals to be role models for daily life, so um, I wouldn't marry him, obviously, for a number of reasons, but that in particular. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, that's up for him in, in his personal life. Doing that is incredibly scummy, but it's not illegal, you know, on the level of some of that other stuff. Um, I, I absolutely would delete his Vikings time. Um, yeah. The 2009 season with an 11-5 and team and a great uh, Aaron Rodgers and some really exciting playoffs is absolutely miserable. It's the, the least fun I've ever had watching football in uh, 2009. Even when the Packers were good, I didn't care. The Packers could blow out a team, and then I'd see that the Vikings won, and I'd just feel sick the rest of the game, or rest of the day. So, absolutely. it For a game I love that defines my fall, 2009 was no fun at all to watch. Yeah, and when I was thinking about this question, I was trying to think to myself if I preferred... The waffling still happened. He went to the Jets, played there for two years, and then retired. Or would I rather have he retired with the Packers, sat out for a year, and decided, you know what, I think I want to play again. The Packers have Rodgers. I'm going to sign somewhere and sign for Minnesota. Yeah. I was trying to decide which one I might have preferred, but I, I think I end up on board with you because I think even if he goes to New York and, and stays there, like I'm a, I'm a little ticked off, mm-hmm. very ticked off at the time, but I'm over it, whereas the whole Minnesota thing, it just made me hate the guy for two years. Yeah. So I, I think I agree with you there. It, it, the Jets thing could have been just like a lot of quarterbacks when they get close to retirement want just one more, two more years. But the Vikings thing really, really hurt. Well, and not only that, it, it hurt personally, but I think people forget because that got healed a lot faster than it had any business being healed because the Packers won the Super Bowl the next year. Yep. If they hadn't won the Super Bowl, Thursday's not happening. I'm 100% sure that Thursday is not happening had the Packers not won the Super Bowl in 2010. It completely divided this fan base to the point where people who are long life, lifelong Packer fans are wearing Minnesota Vikings jerseys around, and the Packers are winning, and people that you know like the Packers are giving you a hard time because Aaron Rodgers was the one who led him to victory. It yeah. sucked being a Packer fan those couple years, and thank goodness they won the Super Bowl in 2010 because it reduced how long that experience would have gone on, I think. I kind of still wish some of those Packer fans would get out, though, now still. <laughs> like some of those people that got on the Vikings bandwagon, and now we're probably back. Were you standing on the uh, uh, outside of Lambeau Field saying, if you don't lock Aaron Rodgers, you can get out? Is that what you Yeah, think? just putting pictures on the Jumbotron of them in Vikings uniforms Yeah. Ten, five, seven years ago. Ugh, yeah, that was, that time was miserable. Ugh, I hate it. Um what is your favorite um, Brett Favre quote? So they show so many of them on these Brett Favre specials and all the goofy things. What is like your favorite Brett Favre quote or joke or whatever that you've seen? Oh God, that's tough. Uh, I I really love the one that they show with Mike Sherman. That's I still say that one a lot. Sugar Barrel Three. He's doing the, <laughs> the breakdown in the huddle. If they called Mike Sherman Sugar Bear. Yeah, that was good. I was thinking like take two weeks off then quit. One is pretty good. Too. Yeah. Um. I I, I guess I got to go Sugar Bear because I like to use that one. I forgot about that one. That one's funny. Um. My favorite is actually when he was with the Vikings, and he's talking to Mike Carey, the referee. And he's just making small talk, and he's like, man, it's hell to get old, isn't it? And Mike Carey's like, yeah. He's like, I'm 61. He's like, what? He's like, I'm 61. He's like, no, you're not. I thought you were as old as me. He's like, I'm 61. He's like, man. And he just has silence for like three seconds, and he's like, what the hell happened to me? 
<laughs> and it was just super funny, and he's there with his gray hair. Uh, so I always loved that one. And then the one in 07 when he threw the uh, 421st touchdown, and he just went around the sidelines going, put her in the old vice. Oh, yeah, that uh, one's great, too. Uh, we Everybody in Wisconsin said that for like two straight years. <laughs> yeah, so that one's my other favorite. Um, okay, we'll go back to Daniel Johnson, and we'll also get to Corey Benz here before we wrap. Um where does Favre rank amongst all-time Packers QBs like Bart Starr, Aaron Rodgers, Lynn Dickey, and Arnie Herber? This is probably like the year that that might be the most difficult question to answer ever in Packer history because I, I feel like there's still a lot of debate between Favre and Starr on who is better. And at this point right now, Rodgers' career isn't done. He's got the one Super Bowl and maybe has a chance to surpass both, but in my opinion, hasn't yet. Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about this a little bit on past shows, maybe last year. I think I've, I picked Bart Starr, and I might stick with that still at this point. Mm-hmm. I think I would still – oh, man, I, I'm waffling between Rodgers and Favre on the second position. I, I like Rodgers better, so I might just, <laughs> because of that, say Star Rodgers, Favre, but they're so close. All three of them are so close. Yeah, um, that's really tough. Rodgers is the best player of the three. I, yes, uh, I think that's pretty definitive. But as far as for a Packers quarterback, I'm almost inclined to say Favre, and it might just be the nostalgia of the week and all of that. But Aaron Rodgers had the opportunity to play in an established system with with established expectations. The organization was the model or one of the model organizations in the NFL by the time he got here. When Brett Favre got here, it was a total mess. And Bart Starr didn't have to do it alone. He had Vince Lombardi. He had two Hall of Fame running backs in the backfield. He had Hall of Fame. Much other Hall of Famers, too. Yeah. yeah, and so while he certainly played his part, he he didn't have to do it alone. And all of his best years, all of his success was with Vince Lombardi. And all of Aaron Rodgers' success has been with Mike McCarthy. And those guys were successful with a, a bunch of different things. Whereas Favre was successful with Holmgren and Mike Sherman and Mike McCarthy, and he was successful with a whole bunch of different teammates. And so I'm inclined to say Favre because he really was he was the whole organization for a few years. Not, not the years that they won any Super Bowls. I'm talking from that era you described of 99 to like 06. He was the whole organization, and the fact that they were still competitive with some of those lousy teams was you know, pretty much a testament to him. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like you said, I think Rodgers is the best. Star's the most accomplished, but you know, Favre did it for the longest period of time with maybe the least, and you know, still got you there every single year. You're always contending, even though he had some really bad teams around him for a few of those years. Yeah, and let's go right into Corey Ben's question then, because um, it kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. Where does Brett Favre rank in the annals of the most significant figures in Packers history? And I don't mean this in terms of who the best player at a certain position was. I'm wondering where you think Favre stands in terms of the impact he had on the direction and the history of the team. And you can include other players, coaches, and front office people in that discussion. Um, uh, Corey offers his opinion. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss ours. I don't want to read his before to have it influence mine. So we'll answer and then we'll read Corey's. Uh, what do you think, Matt? This is a tough one. So... Uh, you're saying in terms of, I know in his question here, he asked about the Mount Rushmore. You're saying, which one do I put up there? Yeah, I guess, um, I, I, I guess we could do Mount Rushmore. Rank? Yeah, where does he rank? Seventh. Like, <laughs> yeah, to... yeah. I guess look, we could do a Mount Rushmore type thing, but then also, uh, talk, I guess, yeah, where he fits. Let's do the Mount Rushmore thing. I didn't read that far, but let's, sure. let's do that. Yeah, so I think he's he's spot on with Lombardi and Lambeau, obviously. I think those are no-brainers. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he has Ron Wolf, and then he asked if you know if Favre's that fourth guy. Yeah, and I guess where where is he on your Mount Rushmore? Is he Abe Lincoln or is he Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, I mean he's Teddy, I think, but <laughs> it's if it's tough because Lombardi and Lambeau are locks. Yeah, and to me, I think you have to put Bart Starr in there just because he was. Although you had Lombardi. Um, Lombardi, he was kind of the figurehead of those teams back then. But yeah. and then I'm kind of then do you put then if you're gonna do a '90s one, which I think you have to, I think you put Favre over any other players, obviously ahead of Reggie White, what have you. But I, I kind of say you either put Wolf, Wolf or Favre, depending on who you think was more significant. Yeah. Yeah. But, so obviously, yeah, the locks are are Lambo and Lombardi. You know, that's that's your Lincoln and uh, George Washington. I think. Um, I'd probably put Star and Favre on there ahead of Wolf, but I, I think Wolf's a great one too. That's that's really tough, and I mean you could even maybe argue for Holmgren. You could well. ar- argue for Bob Harlan too. Bob Harlan as well. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Uh, it just kind of deciding who you think maybe had the most impact out of what happened in the '90s there. Yeah, I think. Ooh. 
Yeah, Bart Starr, he's so tough. And, and I feel like I'm not giving him his just due because he's such a great player, but it's, you know, you got Nitschke and Willie Davis and on the other side of the ball, and you got Jim Taylor in the backfield, and, you know, you got Lombardi on the bench. Uh, you know, there's just so much support. You know, not that he should ever apologize for that. I mean, Joe Montana had a heck of a supporting cast, too. You shouldn't have to apologize because your team was smart enough to draft Jerry Rice. Um I think if you go anybody in the 90s, though, you got to go Favre, and maybe he's Teddy Roosevelt. I might even say he's Thomas Jefferson because it's the the renaissance of the Packers. I'll, I'll say I'll give him the Jefferson slot, and I'll give Bart Starr the Teddy Roosevelt slot because sure. as much as Harlan and Wolf were incredibly important to this franchise, they're not the ones who had to go out there and throw the touchdown passes and win with a bunch of players and go out on the field and actually make it happen. I mean, it's one thing to change the culture, and it's the one thing to change the direction of the organization. In a football league, in a football organization, somebody's got to go out there and win the games. And Favre was that guy for so many years. So I would say he's my, yeah, he's in the Thomas Jefferson slot. (laughs) Yeah, I can get on board with that. And uh, Corey Ben says, uh, while there are a lot of individuals who loom large, I feel like Favre arguably belongs on the team's Mount Rushmore with Lombardi, Lambeau, and Ron Wolf. It's still too early for anyone like Rodgers or Ted Thompson to be up there. There's a pretty compelling argument to be made that his touchdown pass to Kittrick Taylor to beat the Bengals might be one of the um, most significant moments in team history and certainly of that era, maybe even more than any other of their playoff wins, simply because that was the moment when the franchise's fortunes finally turned and made everything else on the path to a championship possible. Um yeah, it's tough to know with Rodgers and Thompson. In a lot of ways, if you think of the Packers as three great eras of dominance, you have the Lambeau coach era, and then you have the Lombardi era, and I still feel like this is the reverberation of the Favre-Wolf era a little bit. The Harlan era, I guess, would be more fair. Um, sure. Yeah, it, it's it, it, that's a tough one because they're so much smushed right next to each other. So it's like, do you kind of include them together? Or are they their own separate things? It's mm-hmm. kind of tough. I think that this current uh, coach, quarterback, and GM, they need to win another Super Bowl to overtake what those guys did in the 90s, coming from nothing and becoming a dominant, one of the best teams in history. And the Packers have had a great team, but their Super Bowl championship team is like in the middle as far as how good they were, I think. And... So for them to surpass those guys, I think they have to win another one. Sure. Um, yeah, and as far as that Bengals thing, I think you're right in some cases there, um, but I think that's a little bit of a deterministic view of history, if I'm using that right, Matt, the history major, that you it's easy to say that that is where they change the fortunes, but you could say the same about the instant replay play with Don Makowski and Sterling Sharp, and because they never capitalized on it, it doesn't mean anything in the long run. So, right, yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, So, um, but definitely an argument to be made for that. All right, uh, Matt, let's each do one more, and then we'll uh, we'll try to wrap up Daniel Johnson's one, and then we'll do our picks on uh, the uh, website. <laughs> well, I'm going to steal one of Daniel Johnson's then because okay. I'm out here. Oh, that's so. fine. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, I like this one because I, I, maybe we agree with this, but did the Vikings become the Packers' biggest rival during Favre's tenure in Green Bay? I think they became the Packers' biggest rival when they drafted Randy Moss. <laughs> sure. Uh I just recently watched, I've been watching a lot of games from 1998, and uh, they they were already a really tough rival, and I think if you hear those guys from the 90s, they talk about how they hated the Vikings worse, and Holmgren really saw how bad the Bears were and directed their anger towards Minnesota, and you know what, I don't even know, that Randy Moss might be too late, because they had one of the dirtiest two games in, or two of the dirtiest games in, in 1996, too, just... Some really tough knockdown dragout games. So I say that the Vikings have been the Packers' biggest rival since the 90s, but it got like, they went from being the biggest rival for the Packers and maybe the biggest rivalry in our division in the 90s to the biggest rivalry in sports, I think, for a couple of years when Favre went there. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think for the most part they have been, and I'd say that they've probably been my most hated team as over the life of my Packer fandom for sure. Uh, there was a couple of years there when the Bears uh, went to the Super Bowl against the Colts that year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, again, when we played in the NFC Championship game and for a couple of years surrounding that when Minnesota was very good after Favre left. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to hate him when Joe Webb's their quarterback, <laughs> but for the most part, I would I would definitely agree with that. And I got into a, an argument with somebody who was saying it was the Bears 
uh, a couple of years ago. But it, just for me, I mean, you can choose what you want, but mm-hmm. I the Vikings are my biggest rival as a Packer fan. How old was this person that was advocating for the Bears to be the Our age, yeah. But oh, I think they were age. from Milwaukee, so it might be a little bit different. Okay, so I could see that then, because uh, I always joke with people at work that the dividing line for, you can tell the dividing line for Packers fans as to who they think the biggest rival is. And the young people will say Minnesota, and the old people will say the Bears. And you and I started watching football in we, we'd always collected the cards and paid attention to it, but we didn't become dedicated watchers until like 1994. And so we were watching for five years before the Bears ever beat the Packers. Yeah. And so it's hard to take them very seriously. And then they had a really long streak with Sherman, and then they you know they've been destroying them lately too. And so uh, yeah, I, I think that the Vikings at least for the last 20 years have been the Packers' biggest rival. Um. I, I don't really have a, a great end one. We already talked about game. So let's just steal that last Daniel Johnson one, and then we'll wrap it up. So what is your favorite and least favorite Favre play? Um, I, I'm tr- well, I'm trying to think of my favorite. My least favorite, I would have to say, is it's between the 4th and 26th Eagles game pick to the 07 NFC Championship game pick. I think I'll go with that one. That Giants loss just devastated me more than like any loss in Packer history for me. Yeah. Um, so that's my least favorite. I'll agree with that um, real quick. Um, yeah. Because as we described, what's your favorite? Maybe you give your favorite here, because I got to think about that. Um, let me think. Well, as I'm buying time for my favorite, I'll just say that I, after Favre threw that interception, after that great season that we just talked about, when he threw that interception against the Giants, I had a whole house full of people, and I jumped out of the chair and I walked to the TV and I said, "Bleep you, old man, retire!" (laughs) And I went in the other room and I didn't watch the rest of the game. So that's how I felt about that play. It, I still haven't rewatched that. I've rewatched Super Bowl 32 and 4th and 26. I can't rewatch that game. It still stings too much. Yeah. Um, my favorite Favre play. I, I, I might jump in there and say, and maybe it's because the biggest stage, but that touchdown to Ryzen in the beginning of the Super Bowl was probably my favorite. Yeah, that one is really awesome. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, I can't. I mean, you can pick all of those obvious ones. I mean, the throw to Kittrick Taylor that uh, Corey Ben mentioned is right up there, but I didn't see that in real time, yeah. so it's hard to say that one. Uh, that Vikings one, um, that's one of the last games I remember watching with my dad, so that certainly is right up there, the one I, I talked about before. Um, gosh, I, I feel like there's just an obvious one that I'm missing, but um, I guess I'll go... I'll go with that Viking one that that I talked about because it's just so far of its sandlot and he had no time to call the play and he's hyped up and he's fallen away and he throws it to a receiver who's not very good and wins the game. <laughs> so I'll say that one, the, the throw to Corey Bradford to win the Vikings game in 99. All right, so that uh, does it for Cross Farver, and uh, hopefully uh, enjoyed that, and I appreciate Corey and Daniel um, always uh, being great fans and interacting with us on Facebook, providing us some content to talk about. This went way over um, what we were expecting, so um, we'll post our, our picks up on the Facebook page. I, I don't know if anybody cares, but it's fun for Matt and I, so, you know, whatever. Screw the rest Take of it. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's make our Thanksgiving picks real quick. Eagles against Lions. Who's going to win that crappy game? Um, Eagles. I'm going to go with the Lions uh, riding the, this momentum wave at home, and the Eagles seem to be a mess. <laughs> yeah, uh, <okay. laughs> well, two games, you know, that's a momentum wave. <laughs> and they, their offense has looked atrocious. They've looked really bad in both. They just happen to beat teams that wanted to lose way worse. But I can't I can't defend the Eagles and sit here and say they look good. Yeah, they gave out five touchdowns to Jameis Winston. Is, <laughs> yeah, they stink too. Yeah. Uh, Carolina and Dallas, any chance Dallas beats them? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm picking the Cowboys here at home. Oh, wow. Um, oh, I guess I'll pick Carolina then to just keep it interesting because I still think they're better. Um, and then the Packers and the Bears. On uh, I'm actually very worried about this game. <laughs> I feel like the Bears are in a perfect position right now to spoil what the Packers are trying to do with this game, although I feel much better than I did 48 hours ago because the Bears looked like trash against Denver and then the Packers were able to win. Yeah, I mean, had the Packers played the Bears this last week, we might have picked the Bears to beat the Packers, too, because they've been playing well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't know, Alshon Jeffrey's been banged up and not playing that much. They don't have Forte anymore. Cutler kind of came back to earth a little bit yesterday. I, I, I don't see the Bears winning this game, I don't think. I think it's Packers. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as... Um... 
you know, we've had like last year and, and even in week one of this year. So I think it's going to resemble more of that. Do you remember that Thursday night football game in 2012 where they just whooped up on Jay Cutler, but the offense didn't look that good? It was a comfortable win, but it didn't look very pretty. I, I could see that happening for us. Sure. All right, and so uh, that does it for Green and Gold Forever. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, definitely go to Green and Gold Forever podcast on Facebook and interact with us there. You can also leave a comment under the podcast at greengoldforever.podbean.com. Our full archives are there. I'm sure we have some other Farve talk if you're in a very Farve mood this week. And uh, also, um, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. It's uh, I don't know about you, Matt, but Thanksgiving more and more has become like my favorite holiday. I think it's nice that Christmas is right after, so it kind of helps, and there's still college football and stuff going on, but um, I'm real excited for Thanksgiving. It's like my favorite week of the year. Yeah, I agree. It's not like we're, I, Christmas is number one, but then once that's done, you're just like done, whereas Thanksgiving, you still got Christmas to look forward to, so that's nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit like a, a number three hitter with, you know, Babe Ruth or I guess Lou Gehrig coming on right after it, so it's a little bit fair. If you can get past Gehrig, then you're just depressed for months on end, right? That's right. That's a real good analogy, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with that, um, uh, we'll let you guys go. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully the Packers can make your Thanksgiving even greater by beating the Bears. Take care, everyone. Put her in the old vice.